Welcome and thanks for joining us. My name is Joe O'Mara. I am the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, I'm delighted to welcome you to the next in our series of Aviation Leaders Interviews. Uh, as we examine the state of the aviation market, and particularly the aviation finance market in the context of, of COVID-19, I'm delighted to have Mark Yarchi with us today, who's a director with Worldstar Aviation, who are a San Francisco and London-based aviation lessor with a fleet of over 70 aircraft on lease to a range of airlines around the world. Mark, thank you so much for joining us for the discussion today. And maybe you'd like to tell our listeners a, a little bit about Worldstar Aviation before we get into the discussion. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. And um, um, thank you, everybody, for uh, uh, tuning in. So um, I'm Mark Ayatri. I'm one of uh, three partners um, who at uh, Worldstar Aviation. I'm based in London. Um, we are um, a full-service lessor. We um, currently own or service manage on behalf of uh, uh, third parties around 75 assets. Um, most of those are in the midlife um, space. Um, our investors uh, range from U.S. hedge funds to um, um, Japanese and Korean um, uh, longer-term institutions. Um, we um, <clears throat> we co-invest with all our partners. They are co-investment partners, uh, really, for whom uh, we we structure uh, deals from end to end, um, and uh, we do that primarily uh, here out of London. But uh, of course, uh, we're founded in San Francisco in the uh, early two thousands. Um, and have uh, a team that's uh, based uh, both in both places as well as in uh, other locations around the world. Thanks, Mark. And looking at the big picture first, on, on the aviation market side, where you know, four months past the global pandemic being declared, we, we've seen the havoc it has wreaked across the aviation sector. And, and as we sit here in, in mid-July, what's your view on where the sector currently sits? It's a very, very good question. And, and, and um, if I can take one step back um, before I touch on where I think we are in mid-July, I think the, the last two years were certainly overdue a correction. Um, I think at all the various panels and conferences, people were talking amusing about what the catalyst would be um, for that correction and how steep and deep and painful the correction could be. Uh, and would be, and um, I mean, it's it's clear that nobody really was expecting a a pandemic such as COVID, with the far-reaching consequences that uh, uh, we're, we're now all suffering from. Um, when towards the end of uh, February at uh, ABS in uh, in Vegas, um, most people were primarily concerned with our Asian exposure, and particularly China. Uh, nobody really was particularly worried about Europe or the U.S., even though, of course, un, unbeknownst to most of our participants at uh, either that conference or um, or ISTAT in uh, Austin 10 days later, uh, nobody really uh, thought or felt that perhaps this uh, virus was amongst us already and quite a bit more far, uh, widespread than expected, uh, than, 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 than we would have thought, but of course it was with as a result that everything effectively froze for three months. And, and I'm using that deliberately because most airlines were, if not fully grounded and mothballed, 
um, overwhelmingly so, um, with an, a few exceptions, such as perhaps China. Um, and, um, and everything froze from aircraft to people being furloughed to the airlines trying not to pay their lessors. Um, and I think if you'd asked me the question end of uh, March, beginning of April, still up to Easter, I would have thought that maybe it was going to be reasonably short-lived and that we were going to have a, a virtually decent summer uh, and that things might recover and become normal again thereafter. But obviously, we're in the middle of July now um, with no end in sight. I think some of the, some of the difficulties we're having have been um, our own, um, you know, self-inflicted. Um, I think reg political decisions have been not always helpful. Um, guide guidance in terms of what we can do, can't do, has been confusing uh, or contradictory. Uh, we have entire segments of populations across the world that um, don't seem to think it's a problem, whereas we have and much bigger percentages of the population globally that has been traumatized by this virus. And I'm not using this word lightly because people who are to date still refusing to get out of their house, even though they're young, they're healthy, um, and they, they're absolutely petrified by, by, by the unseen enemy and how, what that might do. Um, and, and so how do you, how do you restart in, in a global economy that has been effectively put in the freezer for three months? And it's, um, it's, um, it's very, very difficult, very, very difficult. The, and even, even when there is a will um, to restart, the logistics of doing so are mind-boggling. I mean, you take a, a simple example of Brussels Airlines that are in, intending to restart their normal operation, but the, the ground handling at Brussels Airport, that company has gone bust. Um, so, you, you, you know, the, the, the law of unintended consequences is going to be crippling this industry for, uh, um, for, for quite a few more months, perhaps uh, um, a year or two to come. And, and when you talk about, as you mentioned, the, the cyclical nature of the sector and, and the tone had clearly been coming into 20 that, you know, really a soft landing was expected, but that the growth was starting to, to reduce. Do you think there are lessons we can take from previous downturns in the cyclical nature, or is this something so extreme, so different to what it's faced before, that the lessons of the past don't really inform us as to where we're going? The beauty of a cycle, of course, is that it, it goes in one direction and then it travels back in the other direction. Um, and I, I don't believe that this COVID crisis is going to be any different. Um, we are going to see, we're clearly having a much deeper recession in the aviation space than anybody would have expected. This is clearly extreme, but I don't see, I don't see that um, at the end of the day, when we look at the big, big picture, um, that things are going to be different from uh, from other crises. I mean, look, in previous crises, we also had regional crises where other areas were were still growing fast and continuing to grow. 
you know, if the U.S. had an issue, Asia was still growing, vice versa. Uh, I think here, obviously, it's global. Um, it's the same everywhere, um, except in one or two areas with very, very large um, domestic markets, particularly China. Uh, but, um, you know, this total cessation to a lukewarm we start everywhere is, is, is clearly um, unprecedented. But I do believe that at the end of the day, the fundamentals for the demand for travel will remain um, um, you know, and will recover. The, the people people like to travel people like to go on holiday people find you know people can um, um, in many parts of the world we've seen that um, you know the middle class is growing the hundreds of millions of people are finally able to fly when they never were able to before um, all of these trends you know the the growth of the global middle class uh, etc we I, I'm pretty sure that uh, it might take, uh, uh, unlike other crises where, for example, SARS or 9-11, et cetera, where, where perhaps there was a dip for six months. I think here that dip is, is going to take a bit longer to, to, to recover, but I have no doubt that we will. And looking at it on, you mentioned the regional side, that probably feeds in to, to the airline piece. And we've seen, obviously, clearly a spike in, in bankruptcies and Chapter 11 filings. Um, there's a sense that a lot of that is more to come. Um, when you look at the airline market, what's your expectations of what's going to happen over there in the coming months uh, where I suppose we get a handle on what government supports will be there or, or just how engaged uh, the various creditors will be with airlines? Where do you think or how bad is it going to be from a bankruptcy perspective on the airline side uh, over the coming months? So if we come back to this uh, deep freeze uh, theme where things were really put on hold on pause for three months with you know very little happening, now that airlines are starting to recover, they're trying to, they're, re they're opening up again, they're relaunching routes. Um, I think it's becoming very painfully obvious that there's going to be some deep, deep, deep changes in, uh, in the industry, as well as some uh, a, a, a decent amount of bankruptcies. I mean, airlines simply cannot. If, you, if, pe if people agreed, for example, that um, they weren't getting paid for three months and they'd be recovering, they'd be catching up for the rest of 2020, they just simply can't do it. Um, you look at uh, an airline that used to fly, say, 100 capacity was 100. Uh, Post-crisis, it perhaps is going to be 70. And at this point in time, maybe they're at 15%. That's all they are. They can't do more than that. You know, maybe they can grow by a few percentage every month. Um, and, you know, they're going to add more routes. They're going to increase their frequency. But the amount of time that is going to take until, until we get back to a point where they're able to pay their people, um, pay their debts, pay their lessors, it's going to take some time. And, and unfortunately, for many airlines, they're never going to be able to get there. Um, I can't, you know, and I, I don't necessarily want to, 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 to give any names, but you look at Latin America, those airlines that could have gone Chapter 11. Um, the U.S. is um, 
pretending for the moment that there's not going to be any chapter 11 within them because of the government help. That government help, even though they have massively large numbers, um, is probably more of a band-aid. Uh, and um, uh, some, you know, when companies like American Airlines borrow in double digits in the capital markets, then a chapter 11 bankruptcy solution is probably not too far not too far away and what i'm particularly worried about in terms of the us is that when one of them goes chapter 11 they all win and, and looking at that piece with the airlines and, and, and say the world star approach and looking at it on a customer basis you know in the past you the, least, the lesser model was you know if you had a, an airline in distress you could take that aircraft back and look to remarket it that, that opportunity obviously isn't there currently how are you approaching the distress that's there in relation to your customers and looking at deferral requests? Well, we've probably been through most of the first wave now. How, how does that second decision point differ where you know, you're into, I'm, I'm presuming, a, a much tougher decision around what to do from a support perspective? Yeah, no, I mean, that is, uh, that, that is certainly true. I mean, look, our main goal entering when we got into this crisis and we, we, you know, it became obvious how hard it was going to be. Our, our three main goals effectively are trying to be helpful where we can and particularly where our help can make a difference to the airline. There is no point where we've got an old aircraft with a large airline that has 500 aircraft and we just have one, you know, us helping them makes zero difference to their chances of surviving or not. Um, where we have two of their five aircraft um, and, you know, then, then, then clearly our help makes a very big difference to them. Um, and and so, so we very much look at how can we help and where does it make sense to do so? We clearly want to avoid bankruptcies where we can, because if we get our aircraft back, what are we going to do with them? And so we work with our airlines. The, you know, initially where we talked to people and we said, okay, fine, you know what, let's get you a deferral agreement, a, we give you better payment terms, or we have a lease amendment whereby instead of a normal fixed lease, it's uh, power by the hour for three months and then you catch up over the course of 2020. And that was all very nice and friendly. I mean, obviously, it was a bit of a problem for us uh, for three months in terms of cash flow, for sure. But um, we we expected and hoped that things would recover um, by the summer so that uh, uh, we would also be able to stand by our own obligations uh, in terms of our financiers and our uh, investment partners, etc. But um, clearly, when the airline comes around and he says, "Look, Mark, you know, we we said that from July we would pay the normal rent in advance, as opposed to the power by the hour in arrears, and we also said we're going to start to catch up now during the course of uh, the second half of the year." And you know, unfortunately. In May, we flew five hours, and in June, we flew 25 hours, and we just can't do it. We, you know, so what do you do? You know, we, we, we then need to look at uh, extending the power by the hour agreement for another three months and hopefully 
you know they 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 are able to pay us a reasonable amount of money over the course of the summer um we have had one or two people wanting to talk to us about returning aircraft um that's obviously very much more difficult conversations um we would also i'd also like to say that where the first round of asking um in april for a three month type of period was still relatively straightforward in the sense that you you would help how you could and that was it and it didn't actually affect the rest of the lease too much but now that we're getting into the second round and the second wave of asking where you see the more f- the, the 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 actual hard and deep damage that has been caused to the industry and that has you know completely destroyed airline balance sheets the this is no longer a question of helping somebody for a few months you got to restructure the lease and um you know that may involve changes in how, how maintenance reserves contributions are calculated how uh leases are paid how um um lease terms um return conditions etc cetera, etc cetera. you got to actually restructure leases from end to end how do you do that without being able to visit people uh adds a further complication um you then got to go and and how does and uh, and uh, take a look at how this impacts your financing whether it's a uh, single aircraft uh, bank senior banknote um how does it affect your abs how does it affect uh, warehouses i mean it it's uh, it's got um it's got impacts across the board it's um it's pretty tough well, might pick up that challenges on the lessor side in a second. Just interesting, are you seeing any themes in relation to the second ask or the stress that's there? Is there a greater importance on those that are receiving state support or is it a greater importance in the geographies in which you see airlines operating? I think it's, um, it, I have not been able to at this point um, say, oh, well, it's one geography versus another we have had second asks from airlines who are actually doing really well on a relative basis and who are simply saying look we're not going bust tomorrow we're your partners we're going to be around we're going to be okay but we just have to be super careful with our own cash right now so what can you do to help us again and that's an interesting question right because uh, it's not the same as the guy who says, look, unless you help me, I'm going bust. This is a different type of question. <laughs> so we've seen we've seen all kinds of situations already. And, you know, there's some people who said, look, truly sorry, but uh, you're using our aircraft every single day and have continued to do so throughout the crisis. Um, and this aircraft is is the one the one aircraft of all of your aircraft that you're continuously using every single day. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's an absolutely key aircraft for you. And you know we helped you the first time around. We understand that uh, not everybody has helped you the first time around. And that, that probably feeds in. You know, obviously the airlines are trying to deal with their creditors in a similar fashion. As you mentioned, if you look at your own balance sheet, you have investors and you have financing coming in i think you know by necessity almost lessors have been understanding and cooperative with their customers how have you found it on your own creditor side 
in relation to the understanding of the situation and a willingness to look out over the medium and long term to, to ultimately you know, maximize the value of your asset. So each of our aircraft are funded differently. Um, we have some aircraft that are literally single aircraft uh, in, in one SPV with uh, um, senior note around it, and that's it. Uh, so we go and talk to our to that lender, and we explain to them that uh, clearly there's no money coming in for three months, and what are we going to do? And so that conversation is always a good one. Um, then we've had um, we have a warehouse where the you know we've had to uh, we've had to get approval for each uh, lease side letter. Um, <clears throat> I have heard that uh, um, there's been quite a few of those warehouse providers who have taken advantage of those situations to make significant changes to um, LTV levels, uh, cure rights, um, demanded uh, further equity contributions, um, early repayments, etc. And that even after that, some of those warehouses were still not open for further deals. So it's been, um, you know, with, with those banks themselves being careful about their own um, um, cash positions. And then, of course, you've got the ABS market where the, the, uh, the waterfall is very prescriptive. Um, money comes in at the top, it all gets aggregated and it gets distributed according to a very specific formula. And uh, if you can, if you can pay the interest on your notes, great. Um, if there's no money left to pay out principal, then that is what it is. Um, you will have seen uh, over the last 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 week crawl um, downgraded virtually all aviation ABS tranches that are out there, uh, with a few exceptions, including including our our Sprite ABS, um, which uh, um, avoided downgrade this time around. Um, we had until until uh, until recently been able to pay all tranches of debt in full, um, but um, you know the situation obviously is 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 what it is, um, and if we can't keep doing this, then you know you, you can't conjure money out of nowhere. You have those challenges that are clearly there on existing structures. You know some of the tone of conversation we've also seen move towards is on the opportunity side. Um, there's obviously a number of, say, on leasebacks that are out to tender. Um, I'd be very interested, given given the nature of what you do and the breadth of investors and financiers you deal with, you know, to the extent there are opportunities out there, say, on the sale and leaseback side, how challenging is it, one, to be able to secure funding, and two, just your thoughts generally on investor appetite. Um, we're obviously in you know, a time of, significant uncertainty but but people will make money out of this situation and that's the nature of distress so very interested in your thoughts on is the financing market open in a real way uh, and two how you view investor appetite i'd like to take three questions out of this um one is how do you how do you look at buying uh, levered or unlevered generally in this market and then let's talk about equity investors and, uh, and, and debt providers. Um, I think the first, the first thing is clearly where markets are dislocated, 
Um, there will be there are opportunities and there will be opportunities. The generally when you buy an aircraft, uh, particularly on lease, you're looking at underwriting two completely different sets of numbers. One, which is the purchase of the metal. How much is this metal worth? And how much do I think it's going to be worth at the end of the lease? And second, you're also purchasing a lease that has an NPV of future cash flows. And then, you know, what is this thing worth on a combined basis? And it has been, an, I would say that over the last few years, we've seen that asset values were going up um, and that affected both the CMV and BV. It affected, of course, the residual values because the appraisers curves were were probably more, they were less steep than uh, they, they are now. And the other thing was that the you would see that um, the discount rate applied to weaker credit, uh, weak credits was virtually identical to the one applied to very strong credits. We saw erosion of lease terms in terms of return conditions, maintenance reserves, security deposits. Um, there was virtually no differentiation between good credits and bad credits anymore. And where we are today, of course, the market is, is completely different. But it becomes increasing, it's become very, very difficult to be able to have conviction on either the metal value or the value of the leases that you're buying. And, you know, and that is, that, that is, that is a difficulty here. So there's a whole bunch of um, structural um, uh, tweaks that you can make to any transaction to give you more comfort. Um, somebody said to me the other day, Oh well, you know my levered my my levered return has now become my unlevered return um, because people's expectations of returns have gone up. Um, I hear that, but then I'm seeing people buying in the market at uh, numbers that uh, still don't make any sense to me. They didn't make sense to me nine months ago, pre-COVID, and I still find them too too expensive now. I'm not entirely sure how that works. Maybe there's some people that still have very, very, very low cost of capital or they have money that they that they have to deploy before the end of this year or it gets returned and it gets bought at, and people are buying things anyway at uh, at interesting valuations. I don't know. I'm not sure. Look, we, 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 we're definitely doing some deals now. Um, we have a number of acquisitions um, that we're working on um, that are under LOI. Um, some that are past the SPA stage and just waiting to novate, um, but um, you know those those are those are opportunities where we truly feel comfortable that in a mayday scenario we'll still end up okay. To, to ask on that is that is that assessing to, the the weight or the metrics you're assessing that under? How much are you placing on the aircraft type? And how much are you placing on the perceived airline credit? So if you take, for example, a, um, it, it depends on the aircraft type as well, because if you take a A320 or 800, um, which may not be very liquid today, 
but you would expect that within the next year or two, they will become liquid again, or at least placeable. Um, you would probably take a different view than if you took a you you went and bought a three thirty on the cylinders back or you know three eighty for that matter. But take an a three thirty. Um, if you, if if it really belong if it really depends on your credit, then 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 it's a different story than if it then. So it really depends on the aircraft type. And then I know I interrupted you, but you were going to move on to then the financing market. How open and available it is, and just what you're seeing in the investor space. Look, the the Japanese and Korean investor space has been very active in the last few years. Um, I would say that the Korean market is more or less closed at this point with Korean investors um, having been perhaps surprised that, um, you know, each of their tranches are under stress and uh, they're taking, I would imagine that they'll come back, but for the moment they're out of the market. The Japanese investors have to a certain extent been tax driven where they were buying the aircraft to um, to um, to defer taxes or, or avoid taxes altogether. Um, given that this year they're probably not going to make much money to start with, there won't be much to shield. Um, so they're out of the market as well. Um, we see some of the Chinese um, uh, lessors that uh, have come up in the last few years and some of them were retreating pre-COVID. Um, there's still a few that are active. I expect them to remain active. And then, of course, you've got uh, overwhelmingly U.S. investors where, you know, some we have different attitudes depending on, on who they are and what, what else is happening. I mean, some people were investing in, uh, in aviation as part of transportation or as part of asset-backed uh, stuff, esoteric stuff pockets or you know all kind of different ways of approaching the space and some of those investors are saying well you know i don't need to buy metal where i can buy um uh, auto loans um, um um you know residential real estate uh, clos etc 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 everything it, it's it's different for for different investors i think some people um have are nursing losses some people have got small subscale portfolios with warehouses that are closed. Um, you know, so those are those guys are probably all on the negative side. Whereas you have other investors who, who are more distressed in terms of their DNA. They like that. That's what they, that's what they thrive on. And those investors, uh, including um, Oaktree, who's one of our largest co-investment partners, um, you know, are 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 particularly excited in this space. So it's um, you know different di different people would react uh, differently to the same set of uh, of um, of market inputs um, and then of course it all depends on their individual circumstances. So it's a it's a mix of things. I mean today, if if pre COVID we had a a number of co investment partners with whom that we pro that we work with at the same time, I think obviously the the <clears throat> that number today is of Actively looking invest equity investors has probably shrunk a bit, but um, we're still very much on the lookout for deals. We're doing deals, and uh, we fully backed 
um, from a equity perspective. So, you know, we, we, we're not in a bad place there, but however, it, things are different. And, um, <clears throat> many of the banks that uh, were lending to lessors are not lending now. Many of the banks that uh, were lending to airlines um, are or, and, or have now reached the, the maximum capacity that they were willing to lend to them. Um, the warehouses, I would say, are virtually closed. And of course, the ABS markets are closed for new issuances. But um, at the same time, you know, and I think the, you'll, you'll talk to some of the banks and they'll tell you that they are open for business. Um, I think they may very well be, but on a very, very selective basis. Are there things that you think, so if you look at aircraft leasing out over the medium term, we, we talked about the airlines and just the quantums of debt that they have taken on to their balance sheet, either you know the form of state support or, or capital markets or other debt that that they have taken on. Do, do you see that having, or what impact do you see that having from an aircraft leasing perspective uh, on a knock-on basis? Do you see it ultimately once we get through the current crisis and back to some form of normal demand? We've seen that percentage of leased aircraft, you know, effectively double over the last 20 years to somewhere you know, in the region of 45 to 50%. Where do you see the, the trend line on that going over the longer term? So the airline, the airline industry has um, has never been a a, a very very profitable uh, business in, from a margin perspective, and um, cash generation is um, is not easy. Uh, there's a lot of cost involved in this business, and um, it's not particularly easy. So when you then load up balance sheets with uh, tons of extra debt. Is going to be that much harder to 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 clean up those balance sheets. Going to take a lot, a lot of a lot of time. Maybe maybe one of the benefits from that is going to be that uh, the percentage of leased aircraft is going to increase. Um, maybe um, maybe the percentage of leased engines is going to increase as you know if you can avoid spending five, six, seven million dollars on a uh, overhaul of a, of an narrow body engine, um, and you spend a hundred thousand a month instead. Maybe maybe that helps. Um, so we're going to see we're going to see the airlines uh, trying to do everything they can, but um, it's going to be interesting. And looking at it on an aviation finance side, do you see transformational or structural changes happening in that space? You talked about you know some players who are subscale. You know, in previous downturns, it's taken a time lag for M&A or consolidation to occur. Do you see that being accelerated in this environment? And if you look at over the longer term, what do you think will happen in the aviation finance space? Look, in the, after the last financial crisis um, um, 10 years ago, many of the French and German uh, banks retreated from the space and then, you know, Again, we talked about cycles earlier, and they came back. Um, not necessarily the same. I think the French banks more than the German banks, but mostly they came back. Um, capital markets open and close again. It cycles. Um, so I would expect things to 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 come back. Um, do I believe that uh, on the ABS side, uh, for example, we're going to see? 
super highly leveraged structures with uh, um, equity investors disposing of their entire assets through the ABS market, including e-notes, etc., and effectively taking their cash out um, and re- having reduced their exposure to virtually nothing. No, I think we're gonna that that's gonna take some time. Um, but um, I definitely expect that the capital markets will reopen uh, in due course um, and uh, the same with lending. And then we're going to see the cycle start again. Initially, it's going to be very conservative. And then over time, as the cycle strengthens, we're going to see things uh, relax again until the next crisis. And that's just the nature of the beast uh, in terms of equity investors and uh, or lessors. Um, yeah, I would expect that uh, perhaps some lessors are are going to either consolidate um, or um, or disappear altogether. But um, you know, there's a lot of talent in this industry, and um, I'd like to think that uh, most most of my peers are, are 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 very good at what they do, and will find a way. And Mark, just just in closing, if you look out over the next six months uh, or the rest of the year what are your expectations for how it's going to play out uh, and i ask you if they're different what are your hopes for, for how the rest of the year will go i think i want to come back to the three aims that we had uh, initially uh, getting into the crisis which is to try and get paid as much as we can by our airlines without uh, without pushing any, you know, while helping them at the same time to avoid bankruptcy and return aircraft to us. If we end up this year not having defaulted on any of our facilities, um, uh, not having had too many aircraft being returned to us, um, and, um, you know, we'll be very happy. And I think I think that's, uh, that's a realistic assessment as to where we are. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the year, I would have told you that uh, we we had a number of deals that uh, um, that we were working on that could have gotten us up to maybe 100 aircraft from the 70 odd that we were at the beginning of the year. I think uh, that that uh, that ambition is uh, um, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm not uh, I'm not necessarily banking on this right now. But if we end up the year in uh, in uh, in reasonable condition, you know, I think we'll be very happy. And um, we will have the right to give ourselves a good pat on the back uh, after what is probably the worst year that anybody could have imagined. Let's hope that is definitely the case, Mark. And uh, I would like to thank you for your insights on behalf of both KPMG and Airline Economics. I really enjoyed the discussion. Uh, And I wish you and Worldstar Aviation all the best over the coming months. Thank you very much. Thank you. (music) Thank <music> you.